The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. everybody. Welcome to Main Street Vegan. I am your host, Victoria Moran. I'm the author of Main Street Vegan, the director of Main Street Vegan Academy, and I do vegan lifestyle coaching and holistic health counseling. So that means if somebody really, really wants to go vegan and wants to get the red carpet one-on-one help, this is how I spend my days and evenings, and it is a very, very good life because this is a very good way of life, and I'm so happy that you're interested in it today and that you have tuned in. If you're listening live, this is the beautiful, beautiful holiday week of both Easter and Passover, and there are signs of spring, certainly in some parts of the country. We had some sunshine today, and it was over 40 in New York City, a very, very good thing. And I am here with my sometimes sidekick, Diane Wentz. Diane is very VeggieGirl.com, a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy and also a certified holistic health counselor practicing in the Great Garden State of New Jersey. How are you doing today, Diane? I'm doing well today. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Now, Diane and I were having a little chat before the show and we decided that this question, if you would like to call in and answer it, will win you a copy of the book of the day. Today's book is the Emotional Eater's Repair Manual, a practical mind-body-spirit guide for putting an end to overeating and dieting. The author of that book is Julie M. Simon. She's going to be our guest coming on in another five or six minutes. And you can have the book delivered to your snail mailbox absolutely free of charge All you have to do is call us toll-free at 888-558-6489 and answer the question of the day, which is... How old were you the first time you had kale? Mm-hmm. And if, if it's collards or mustard greens or something like that, that works. But how old were you the first time you had kale or something seriously green? Give us a call at 888-558-6489. How old were you, Diane? I think the first time I had kale was probably about four years ago. I'm not exactly sure. I can't remember really my first kale experience, but I'm thinking it might have been a kale chip. 
Aha! Well, kale chips count. They do, and they're delicious. You make them yourself in a dehydrator. I do. I actually bought a dehydrator just so that I could make kale chips. Ah, then you're a fan. Yes. Yeah, we've got a kale chip uh, recipe in Main Street Vegan as well, one that just uses an oven. Kale chips are so interesting because every recipe is so divergent from every other one. Mm -hmm. Some of them say you bake 30 minutes at 250, and some of them you say you bake 10 minutes at 350. I mean, it just kind of works however you do it. I think it just works, yeah. If you do it in the oven, I think probably the lower the setting, the better, Mm -hmm. because it burns pretty quickly. Yeah. But it also depends on how the the coating is, whatever you're coating it with. If you're making, I I make a lot of cheesy kale chips with um, cashews. Mm -hmm. And if the coating is very wet, it's going to need longer in the oven or longer in the dehydrator. If it's more of a drier kind of coating, then it'll take shorter. And if you've never had kale chips, you can actually buy them at the health food store. They're kind of pricey. They're very, very lightweight. So if you think of what they cost per ounce when you buy them commercially, you may as well be having, I don't know, I don't know if there's vegan caviar, but if there is, it's probably about at that level. But oh my gosh, they're good. And then they can encourage you to have kale other ways, raw and steamed and sauteed and juiced and smoothied and souped. Yes. I had kale the first time when I was 39 years old, and it was in Los Angeles. I was there with my daughter, who was six, and we were introduced to Ethiopian food for the first time. At at that time, there was no Ethiopian restaurant in Kansas City where we lived, so we went to a place in L.A. called the Queen of Sheba, and they had a dish called gomen which is greens, and I guess it can be kale, collards, any kind of dark leafy greens. But it was so exquisite, so beautifully spiced, that I knew from that moment on that these green foods had been hidden from me for too long. And I've loved them ever since. (laughs) I think they're hidden from many people for too long. Well, I think certain foods intimidate people. You know, if, if you're not used to eating something... I live in South Harlem. I'm kind of on the line between Spanish Harlem and regular Harlem. And there are a lot of people from the Caribbean islands in my neighborhood, also a lot of people from the African continent. So our local grocery store has all this amazing, unusual produce. One of the things that we do as part of Main Street Vegan Academy to train the vegan lifestyle coaches is teach them how to do a supermarket tour, how to take somebody who's new to this whole thing, and just walk them through their own grocery store and help them make some fabulous, delicious, healthy choices. And when I did that with the last Main Street Vegan Academy group in in February, we were all looking at, at these kinds of produce that we were not familiar with and asking the guys at the grocery store to tell us what they were. And some people were looking them up on Google but it's just very cool that the plant kingdom is so generous that yes, there's all that stuff to eat. Every once in a while, I'll go to an Asian market and just take a look at the produce there. There's always really unusual things. Oh, it's fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. I like to do that in Chinatown. And I believe this is about the time that they start getting the durians. Have you ever had durian? I haven't. Is that the one that tastes like vanilla? It tastes like cheesecake, but it smells very, very strong. I think it has a cheesy smell. Some people say it smells like dirty socks, but it's a huge Indonesian fruit. And in Chinatown, at least, they sell them cut because a whole one, I don't know, would just take months to eat. You can freeze it, and when you scoop the innards out when it's frozen, it tastes a lot like ice cream. But the smell is a real turnoff to a lot of people. However, in Indonesia, it's considered an aphrodisiac, and they have a saying, when the durians ripen, the saris come off. Interesting. Yeah. So I make no promises about those qualifications of the durian, but I think it's really, really yummy. So speaking of great things happening in the springtime... I just had a birthday, March 21st. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Now, when I was a kid, that was the first day of spring. But somehow, I don't know, the equinox has shifted, and now the first day of spring is March 20th. But anyway, March 21st, I had a birthday. March 29th, my daughter, Adair, will have her birthday. 
And I just love this idea of spring birthdays and spring awakenings. And of course, this year, we're right at, at Passover and Easter time as well. So it just feels like everything is waking up. It's so exciting and wonderful. Are you doing anything special for spring? Not for spring, not, not that I can think of. Um, I don't have any plans. I'll probably start having outdoor potlucks and barbecues. Oh, that's right. You have that Montclair Vegan group. Yes, it's not quite warm enough yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to get outside. I, oh, my goodness. I just looked at the computer screen and see that our wonderful uh, engineer, Jeff, had a birthday on the 22nd. Jeff, we are astrological siblings. How fabulous. Well, it's fun. It's wonderful. Okay, we are going to take a break, but write down our toll-free number, 888-558-6489. And if you give us a call and let us know how old you were when you had your first serious leafy green, you will win a copy of the Emotional Eater's Repair Manual. Stay with us. We'll be back with more Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Unity Online Radio is affiliated with Unity, a nonprofit organization specializing in prayer, publishing, and spiritual education. If you enjoy our programming and would like to support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now to make a contribution. You can make a one-time or recurring monthly donation. Thank you. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com. Amazon.com or your favorite bookseller. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, Senior Minister of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. 
everybody. Welcome back. I'm Victoria Moran. I'm here with Diane Wentz, and we are about to introduce our wonderful guest, Julie Simon. Julie is a licensed psychotherapist and life coach with more than 20 years' experience in helping overeaters stop dieting, heal their relationships with themselves and their bodies, lose excess weight, and keep it off. You know, that is possible because yours truly has done it. Julie is a lifelong fitness enthusiast, a certified personal trainer, and founder and director of the Los Angeles-based 12-week emotional eating recovery program. She lives in Los Angeles. But while you are on pins and needles waiting to meet Julie, we do have a kale caller. Hey there, caller. Are you on the line? Yes. Hi. Hi. What's your name? Um, this is, my name's Anne. Hey, Anne, it's a pleasure to have you on with us today. Okay, how old were you when you first had a dark, leafy green? Well, I remember it was uh, 1991 because I um, quit smoking that year and started eating more healthy and started eating kale and all sorts of other things. That is wonderful. That's a great so secret. So that would have been, let's see, I would have been 40. Aha. Well, we were just talking during the break about what a fabulous decade of life the 40s are. And so you initiated your 40s by eating the healthiest food on the planet. So, Jeff, our engineer, is going to get your address, and we will get your copy of the Emotional Eaters Repair Manual out to you. Thanks so much for listening and for calling. Thank you so very much, and thank you for the show. Thanks a lot. And for the subject, too. I'm very Uh, interested. I appreciate it. Thank you, Anne. Okay. And Julie, Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you by phone. I see that we have lots of mutual friends and people who have been and will be guests on this show, like Dr. Neil Barnard and Rory Friedman. So it's wonderful to have you uh, in the group as well. Thank you so much. Great. It's a great group to be a part of. Well, you know, there are so many wonderful people doing amazing things in the world. So I think Diane has the first question for you. How do you know if you're an emotional eater? Because doesn't everyone eat emotionally? Well, you know, it's such a great question because I was just thinking about that this morning, how people always ask me, don't we all eat emotionally? And I say, yes, of course we do. You know, we want a little extra excitement, so we have a dish of ice cream in the evening or we're feeling lonely and we have a couple cookies. And really, if, if it's not affecting your, your health or your weight, if it's not compromising your health, then there really isn't a problem with it. But if a person finds themselves, you know, regularly eating when they're not hungry, overeating, snacking mindlessly, binging regularly, um, often choosing unhealthy comfort foods, then really the bulk of your overeating isn't just because you love food and you love eating or you're a foodie. There's really something more going on. There's something out of balance somewhere. And so usually if you ask yourself the following questions, you can kind of tell if you might be an emotional eater. If you use food as a tranquilizer to dull emotions that are difficult to cope with, like anxiety or anger or sadness, loneliness, if you turn to food to silence, self-defeating thoughts, if you use food for soothing, comfort, pleasure, excitement, if you eat to distract yourself from unpleasant feeling states like boredom or apathy or overwhelm or general upset, if you eat you know, often when you're stressed out, if you eat to numb out, if you eat as a way to procrastinate instead of taking care of activities or things you need to take care of, or if you try to fill up an inner emptiness <clears throat> with food then you probably could define yourself as an emotional eater. I wanted to ask you perhaps a little bit too much of a technical question, but as you know, I come from this experience myself, uh, nearly 30 years um, since my last binge and left uh, 60 pounds way back there a long time ago. I had always thought that people that dealt with weight and that got into dieting were pretty much in two categories, that it was just the people who ate the typical American diet, who who ate a lot, 
but it wasn't really an emotional issue. And then there were the emotional eaters. But there's a lovely woman that I know in uh, in Florida. Her name is Sandy Neville. She's an eating disorders counselor who has a, a place called White Picket Fence Counseling. And she suggested to me, and I have, have adopted this and I have quoted this many times, that there are that just people who eat too much of the wrong food. And then there are emotional eaters, and that emotional part is is addressed by so many authors, Janine Roth, this kind of approach. But then there's also a third category, and that is the food addict, where it's even more intractable. Do you see the kind of three categories, or do you just say, no, everybody who isn't just, you know, eating hot dogs because they don't know any better in the uh, emotional eater category? Well, I think she's right. Um, You know, there are lots of ways we could separate it out, but... I find, like, I kind of de- define three categories of emotional eaters. One, not, not so much in my book, but in my program. One would be the non-compulsive emotional eater. <clears throat> and that's a person who doesn't necessarily feel compulsive with food. Um, will will snack, will overeat at meals. But that's the kind of person that, unless it's their absolute favorite food, you know, they can they might have, let's say, two servings of ice cream and then put the carton away, or a couple of cookies from the bag and then wrap it up and put it away. They're not so compulsive with food, but they are an emotional eater. The, the, the um, tenets that I described earlier, you know, they're eating over emotions and they're eating to soothe, but there isn't as much compulsiveness in their eating. Then there's the compulsive overeaters, and there, there are two categories of those. There's binge eating disorder. And there's bulimia nervosa. And in those two categories, you, you definitely see food addiction. So you see someone who has a sensitivity to the, the chemical, uh, the flood of chemicals that come about from eating certain foods. And those two categories usually have some allergic addiction, food allergies going on there. And those two categories usually have brain chemistry imbalances. And those two categories often have hormonal imbalances. And those two categories often are more emotionally sensitive types. So does that make sense? It does. It does. Oh, that helps a so lot. So you could I... kind of say there are two, two categories, the compulsive and the non-compulsive. And then in the compulsive category, there's the bulimic and the binge eating disorder. Okay. I, I like to have things nice and clear, and I appreciate that. So, you know, can I add one thing to yes. the saying? That something that I think has been so helpful over all the years that I've been working with emotional eaters is that they come to me, and most of them feel they're so frustrated with their weight and their eating, and they feel that it's, it's so much about poor willpower and that they're just not disciplined or they're being lazy. And so many of them, like what you're saying, so many of them fall into the compulsive eating category and they do have food addiction and they do have these hormonal imbalances and they do have brain chemistry imbalances. And so they're, they're often, even though it's not great to know you have all that going on in your body and brain, they're often very relieved to know that it's not just that they're lazy and undisciplined, you know, that they've got some complications um, that are making food very, very attractive to them. I'm so glad that you talked about that because that was one of the great things for me in my own recovery when I finally realized I was responsible for doing something about it, but it wasn't my fault. It wasn't like having, you know, a scarlet A on my forehead or something. There was a wonderful blog post uh, posted anonymously at ourhenhouse.org, a wonderful animal rights organization. And, and it's a woman who is in recovery from compulsive eating, a woman who is a vegan. And she mentioned in the piece that when she came to see that for her, there was an element of selfishness and self-centeredness that had to be dealt with oh my goodness, you should have seen the responses that that people commented. They just couldn't stand it. They thought that she was disliking herself and abusing herself when to me it just seemed like it was self-knowledge and it helped her. So, Yes. Helped her to, she she was saying that she was seeing herself as selfish 
Right, that when she dealt with that self-centeredness, she was able to come into more of um, a full life and not need to eat so much. Yeah, and probably what she was trying to get at, which maybe people weren't hearing, was there was a self-absorption. You know, That's exactly which, it. Yeah, I mean, when we're, when we're into our eating disorders, we are self-absorbed. You know, we're wrapped up in them. I remember do, being in that place myself for so many years, and it's, it's a self-absorption, but it's not, um, it's not self-love. <laughs> no, no, you know? not at all. So how does one become an emotional eater? What causes this? <clears throat> well, there certainly isn't any one um, formula, but what I can tell you is that most, most emotional, what most emotional eaters have in common is that their early childhood years were undernourishing at best, and then sometimes they may have been chaotic or traumatic. And I often, you know, when I give workshops and seminars, people come up to me and say, I didn't have any trauma. I didn't have trouble. I had a very loving, nourishing background. I'm just a foodie. I love food. You know, I'm 40 pounds overweight. And I'll say to them, you know, you could even have had super loving caregivers, but if they did not learn how to self-soothe and if they did not learn how to grieve and mourn losses and disappointments, they wouldn't have been able to teach you those skills. And... So you could even have a super loving caregiver who always bakes you cookies when you're going through problems. And that doesn't teach you how to work through issues. It doesn't teach you how to identify emotions and identify needs. Um, it doesn't teach you how to reframe self-defeating thoughts. So most, of the, most emotional eaters have had caregivers who were unable in certain respects to meet their needs. And so early on, you know, we learn to turn to food. Food is soothing, it's comforting, it's predictable, um, it's a guaranteed good time, right? And then if we fall into those compulsive categories where we have, you know, sensitivity to food, like an alcoholic, and we take in certain foods, you know, and our brain says, yes, get more of that immediately, you know, we're going to start to get into trouble with food. Mm. You are one smart lady, and your website, for people who are listening, is overeatingrecovery.com. Now, as one who's been through this, I can tell that you've been through this <laughs> without even <laughs> reading your book or your press release. I would have known that just by listening to you. Can you tell a little bit of your story? A little bit of my story. Well, a quick part of my story. I like to tell people that in my preteen years, you know, I used to go over to my best friend's house because I came from a dysfunctional family and it was more fun to go to her house than be at mine. And I noticed early on in my preteen years that uh, we would come back after school and we would go into her pantry and she had a pantry the size of a walk-in, you know, closet. And I had everything in that pantry, you know, cookies and uh, donuts and Fritos and Cheetos and candy and ding-dongs. I'm dating myself. And um, we would get a snack. We would go outside. She would hardly touch her. She was very thin. I was normal weight. I would be focused on my snack, her snack. And the only thing that kept me from going back for more was shame because she had a housekeeper that hung out near the kitchen. And I noticed at that point in my life that I was more focused on food, and then, in, but I, I wasn't concerned with my body image or my weight at that point in time. Then came the teen years, you know, puberty hit, started to gain a little weight, started to get messages from the culture that thin was in, messages from people like my father that if I didn't stop eating like that, I'd have legs like my mother. Um, you know, so the messages were starting to come in. My mother was a chronic dieter. So I started dieting, <clears throat> and I found out in my teen years and in my early 20s that dieting didn't really work for me. I would lose some weight. I would plateau. Then I would have extreme cravings. I would gain the weight back. Um, you know, I kept trying every diet, thought there was something wrong with me. <clears throat> and that led to binging, periodic binging. Um, <clears throat> but I always intuitively thought, there was something wrong with the dieting concept because it didn't make sense. I was cutting my calories and I wasn't losing the weight that I theoretically should have been if I were cutting my calories. And I had this turning point. So I, so I dieted and overate and did all that stuff through my 20s and through college. And 
you know, binged and starved and over-exercised and did everything I could. And I had this kind of epiphanal turning point in my late 20s when I was at my heaviest weight. I was walking on the beach in Venice. I saw this woman. She was heavier than me. She was in a bikini, and she was playing with her kids and throwing the ball and having fun. <clears throat> and I looked at her, and I thought, oh, my God, she has some, definitely has something I don't have. She has this freedom inside of herself to be her, to not be concerned with her body image, to get in a bathing suit, which I would never do and, you know, at that point in time in front of people, no less. Um, and I was so envious of her, and I made a decision that day. I said, I'm never going on another diet again, ever. I don't care if I stay at this weight forever. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to buy clothes that fit my body because at the time I was a CPA, MBA CPA. You know, <laughs> I was wearing these suits, and they were tight, and I was uncomfortable all the time. And um, I'm going out. I'm buying clothes, really nice, lovely outfits that fit my body at this weight. I'm not putting myself on another diet. I'm going to eat when I'm hungry. I'm going to try and make a healthy selection of foods. I'm going to stop when I'm full. I'm going to, not going to guilt myself for transgressions. And what was so wonderful about that was two things. One, I stopped dieting. Two, I began, it was the very early beginnings of self-acceptance. I began to self-accept my body as is. Um, my weight started to stabilize. The binging stopped. Um, and lo and behold, I started to lose some weight. And all of that was great. But then I started to notice over time that the overeating was coming back. I wasn't binging and I wasn't dieting. Um, but the overeating was coming back. And so then I set out uh, for a number of years to really get to understand what were the pieces of this overeating puzzle. Why could I not, like an animal in the wild, maintain my weight in an optimal range easily? And so over time, I began to find out all the pieces of the puzzle. I began to understand that I had hormonal imbalances. I had very serious PMS. That, was, that would throw me off every month and trigger huge sugar cravings. I had brain chemistry imbalances that I inherited in my family. My mother's bipolar. So I had um, a depressive um, gene, if you will. Um, the depression, you know, would kick in and I would overeat because of that. I had food allergies, I found out about. You know, if I eat a scone, it's like I might as well like mainline crack. You know, that's how my body is with pastry flour. So I began to understand the pieces of this puzzle. I also began to understand all the emotional self-care skills that I was missing because I came from such a dysfunctional background. Began to get those into place, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about those self-care skills. And then I began a spiritual journey, and I began to understand um, kind of what I call soul care skills, ways of quieting my mind and uh, letting go of attachments that didn't serve me, and began to put all the pieces together, and my life just began to get better and better and better. And at some point, I decided I've got to become a therapist, you know, and I've got to help people uh, deal with all this. And then 20-plus uh, years ago, I decided to, you know, start this program, this 12-week emotional eating recovery program, and the rest is history. Oh, and it's beautiful, beautiful history. I relate so much, Julie, to the beginning of your journey because that is precisely what happened for me. I had dieted my entire life. My dad was a diet doctor, so I got every new diet that he got from the medical conventions that were usually in Las Vegas. But finally, <laughs> when it finally hit was one day I was at such a bottom, I just said, God, I may never be thin just make me free. I just couldn't stand this enslavement to food any longer. So the first thing that I did was join a little gym. It was a little women's gym. And when they said, what is your goal weight? For the first time ever in my life, I said, I don't have one. And, you know, not having a goal weight at a gym is kind of like not having a social security number, but they took my <laughs> money anyway. And just that one statement that I'm going to do something healthy that doesn't have to do with losing weight was really revolutionary. That's so true. It's, it's those moments where we realize that we're just not free when we... Um, restrict and deprive and set rules, and we go against uh, what's natural for us. 
Exactly. Well, we are going to be back after the break with more with Julie M. Simon, author of The Emotional Eater's Repair Manual. Julie's website is overeatingrecovery.com. And if you have a question for Julie or if you want to get in on this conversation with Julie M. Simon, with Diane Wentz, theveggiegirl.com, and with me, I'm Victoria Moran, Main Street Vegan. Give us a call, 888 888- Five five eight six four eight nine, and we will be back right after these messages. state of change, a period of transition? Perhaps you simply don't know which way to turn, or you want guidance on taking that next step in your personal or professional life. You can activate the power of yes with Reverend Beverly Melander. As a new thought minister and next step counselor, she knows how to listen to where you are and help you get to where you want to be. With 20 plus years of experience, she offers spiritual counseling and affirmative prayer next step counseling for your personal or professional life, as well as resume writing and editing. To learn more about Beverly's counseling services, visit beverlymelander.net. That's Beverly, M O L A N D E R.net. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan. I'm Victoria Moran. So happy to be your host and your conversation buddy every Wednesday afternoon from my home base in Harlem, USA, New York City, filtered through Unity Village, USA, out there in Kansas City, near Kansas City. We are just all over the country and all over the place. Our guest today is Julie M. Simon, author of The Emotional Eater's Repair Manual. And speaking of geography, if you are on the West Coast, the 12-week emotional eating recovery program that Julie has founded and that she has conducted for 20 years happens routinely in that part of the world. There's going to be a new program starting up next week, and you can get more information about that at overeatingrecovery.com. Now, before the break, you were talking about interesting ways we can take of ourselves. Yes, you were talking about self-connection. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how we can do that? Yes. Well, basically, like I was saying, um, if if we're overeating, we're going to want to um, figure out, and the book is broken in three parts, so it helps people figure this out. If their eating is driven by emotional hunger, if their eating is driven by body imbalance, or if their eating is driven, driven by what we call spiritual hunger, a yearning for purpose and passion and meaning. So if the eating is determined to be driven by emotional hunger, a desire for soothing and comfort and pleasure and distraction, then we're going to need to develop some self-care skills. These are developmental skills that usually were not well-developed or poor, they were poorly developed in our childhood. And the very first skill, which is a critical skill for emotional eaters to learn, is called self-connection. And it just means that we go inside regularly 
and we ask ourselves, what am I feeling? What am I needing? And then we access an inner nourishing voice, what I call the inner nurture, that can help us resolve and meet our non-food needs. So I like to kind of think of an example. You know, let's say that you're in the dressing room trying on clothes. All of us women (laughs) can relate to this example. You're in the dressing room trying on clothes, and you're having a bad body image day. And you say, oh, my God, I look so fat, I look terrible, I hate this body, you know, I work out so much and it still looks like this. And and now all you can think of is getting out into the mall and getting food and that those Cinnabons are looking really good, okay? I want you to just pull away. If you have a piece of paper and you can write, that's great. If you can't, you can do it in your head. I want you to pull away for a minute and ask yourself, what am I feeling? Right Before you do this automatic grab food, have a bad event, grab food, ask yourself, what am I feeling? Maybe you say, I'm feeling frustrated, hopeless, discouraged, um, depressed. Okay, what do I need? What do you really need in that moment? You've been in the dressing room, you've had a bad time in the dressing room, you're feeling hopeless and discouraged. What do you need? And often emotional eaters have trouble saying exactly what they feel, and and even more so, they have trouble determining what do they need. So you sit down and you say, okay, what do I need? What do I need? A Cinnabon. (laughs) Well, the truth is you don't really need food. Go a little deeper. What do you need? Well, I guess I need comfort. I need reassurance. I need self-love. I need, you know, to validate myself that I'm okay. Um... I need hope that things can change. Okay, so now we've gone inside, we've connected, and we've figured out what we're feeling and what we're needing. Now we need to access a voice. And again, this is another area where a lot of emotional eaters, maybe they didn't hear nourishing voices in their childhood, they never properly developed an inner nourishing voice, and it won't develop unless you practice it. So now we have to practice a voice that maybe says something like, oh, it's so understandable that you're feeling this way, you know, we've put on a little bit of weight and the clothes aren't fitting that well. And, you know, clothes are made, they're not always made to fit everybody's body perfectly. So we're just having a bad day with that today. And by the way, I love you and I care about you. I'm your inner nurturer and you're very special and very important to me. And I can take care of you. And together we can... We can do whatever we need to do. We can go to another store. We can find nice, pretty clothes that fit. Maybe they're not in this store. Um, I love you. I care about you. I'm going to help you find clothes that fit. We're going to have a nice day. And if we want to take off the weight, we can do that too. But let's let's not go eat more stuff like Cinnabons. We're going to feel worse later. You know, we're going to be beating ourselves up later. This is the kind of inner conversation. That's what I call the three-step process. What am I feeling? What am I needing? Access the inner nourishing voice. We need to do this three-step process all the time, over and over and over again. And the one thing I would add to that, and I'm sure you can relate to this, both of you, I still have those inner conversations. I'm walking down the store in the market sometimes, and my feeling self says, let's see what kind of cookies they have. You know, Let's see what kind of vegan cookies there are. Right, And then I say, what's going on? Why are you looking at the vegan cookies? Right, And then maybe I'll say, well, I've been working a lot of hours and I'm kind of tired and hasn't been a lot of fun this weekend. And then my inner nurturer says, okay, let's not get the cookies. Why don't we get, you know, your favorite frozen fruit. This is frozen fruit I like. And we'll have that. And how about if we go home and... Let's sit down and we'll do some journaling. We'll have a cup of tea and maybe we'll even take a a nice bath. Um, And, you know, we'll we'll have some fun. So I still have inner conversations. I don't turn to food much anymore. You know, rarely will I emotionally eat. But I still have inner conversations all the time between my inner nurture and my feeling self. And we all need to do that. So it's a habit everyone has to develop. Yeah, that's very wise. You have another phrase I really, really like. You talk about the drama of striving. What's that about? Well, you know, we live in this culture where we're bombarded, you know, with 
achievements and accomplishments. And often in my in my um, practice, my private practice, I'll work with people and they'll say, you know, I'll say, well, what's going on? What is it that is driving you? And they'll say, well, I really want to get slim. Okay, you know, I really want to be thinner. And I'll say, well. What do you, why do you want so much to be thinner? Well, I'm not going to start dating until I'm thinner. So if I'm thinner, then I could be dating. Okay, so if you're dating, then what? Well, you know, then I'll have the prospect of, you know, getting married, and that'll be wonderful. Okay, and then you'll get married, and then what? Well, then we'll have a baby. Okay, and then you have a baby, and then what? And it kind of never ends. It's like, okay, now we have one child, but now I'm not happy because we, we, I like, we like to be having two children. We're not getting pregnant yet with the second one. Okay, now we've got pregnant with the second one. Now our house isn't big enough. We really need a bigger house. It never ends, right? It, we think that it, it, the drama striving is I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I lose the weight. I'll be happy when I have the baby. I'll be happy when I have the boyfriend. It never ends. And the bottom line is is that happiness is a moment-to-moment decision. It's, it's already within you. It's already within you. The joy that you're looking outside of yourself for is already within you. It resides at the center of your being. And so it's just the question is, how do we get there? And I give in the book five soul care practices that are uh, they're designed to get you to the inner treasures that are at the center of your being. They're always there. The first soul care practice is quieting your mind. You cannot get there if you live in monkey mind. You know, if you live in a mind that's always saying, but she has, and oh, but look at her book. You know, my monkey mind does it too. My monkey mind will go, oh, my God, you know, her book sold so many thousand copies. Why isn't my book selling? You know, and then I oh, say, Oh, I know hey. that one, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? And, you know, the bottom line is we don't control the outcomes. We just don't control the outcomes. You have to just be really centered in doing what you're called to do and being present when you're doing it. And letting it go, letting it go wherever it's supposed to go. And, but that monkey mind gets in the way, right? And our desires and our attachments, they get in the way. And so the soul care practices are always about pulling you back to quietude, letting go of all that ego, striving stuff. That doesn't mean that you don't, you don't achieve and you don't set goals and you don't self-actualize. It just means that you don't, you're not attached to all of that stuff. You know, like when I wrote my book, I said to people, I hope that I get a publisher, you know, but if I don't, I'll self-publish. I hope it sells a million copies, and if it doesn't, it'll get in the hands of just the right people that need, it, need to have it. You know, always having um, dreams, because it's nice to have dreams and goals, but never being attached to them. And, it, you know, it's a lot of work, of course, to, to practice that. Um, but that's what the soul care practices are there for, to teach you how to start to do that. And as emotional eaters, I see emotional eaters are very, very attached to what their number on the scale is and, um, you know, the clock's ticking and um, when am I going to get this? And then I have emotional eaters that are coming and they're aging and they're attached to their, you know, now I have wrinkles and what am I going to do about that? And I'm not lovable with these wrinkles, you know, it's, it kind of never ends. So we have a lot of work to do. Oh, that's just lovely. I, I live, as I said, in Harlem. And if you take a tour of Harlem, they will take you to a lovely street of beautiful brownstones, and it's called Strivers Row. Because in the days when African Americans couldn't live wherever they wanted to live, and they were pretty much expected to live in certain areas, those who were professional, who had more money, had these beautiful, beautiful homes on Strivers Row because the people who didn't live there saw them as just working so hard to just do better and get the next thing and make a better life. And so to an extent, that's the American way. But in another way, what you've just described is I think what the Buddha talked about when he said that that desire is the root of all suffering. When you can't get something and enjoy it without wanting the next thing, it's, it's an addictive cycle. Well, it's so it's just true, like and you know, it's so true, and what you're describing, you know, like with Strivers Lane, it's almost like, you know, depression era, where people really valued what they strove for. You know, there was 
tremendous value placed on it um, and and gratitude and contentment. Today, it's almost like we just bypass through our goals. Like, well, yeah, I wrote one book. Now I need ten more. You know, it, it's so different today. The, the orientation towards striving is so different and um, somewhat unhealthy, I think, and contributing to more misery than we need to have. Um, you know, but the good news is, I always like to think about the, the hope. You know, the, the good news is, is that as emotional eaters, we can rein this in. You know, we can rein in a lot of this unhealthy um, drama of striving. And it, in a way, it kind of takes us back to that self-care skill number two, which is about learning to catch and reframe those thoughts. You know, that I'm not good enough unless I'm slim. Right, or I'm not good enough unless my book is a you know New York Times bestseller. Um, you know, learning to take those thoughts and reframe them into more um, you know self-affirming, positive, energizing reframe. So it's another self-care skill uh, that emotional eaters and all of us, right, whether we're emotional eating or not, need to learn. I always say that all the skills and principles and practices in my book could, could be used by anybody struggling with anything because um, they're, so, they're just so general. They're, they're just for all humans. Well, and they certainly seem like they work. Now, we just have a few minutes left. And before we finish up, since this is Main Street Vegan, I do want to ask you a little bit about food. Can you yes. tell us about Foods consistent with human design. Well, yes. In the second part of the book, you know, we talk about um, body balance, and it would it would be very hard for us to balance our body out if we continue to eat foods that don't work well for our bodies. And so, the second um, body balancing principle I recommend is that people begin to eat foods that are consistent with their human design. And those foods are unprocessed, whole plant foods. Um, and I know that was a huge shift for me. I made the shift to being a vegan probably about 12 years ago. And prior to that, on and off vegetarian for many, many years. Um, and, you know, we, we know solidly that processed foods, you know, refined um, refined grain products and sugars and things are not healthy for us. But a lot of people don't really know that uh, animal proteins, animal foods, um, you know, really trigger uh, cascades of dopamine in the brain. Um, They imbalance your body on many fronts, hormonal, brain chemistry, um, create a very acidic environment in the body, more more conducive to cancer growth. Um, You know, so... We now know, we have a lot of information now out in the world that um, animal foods, foods of animal origin and processed foods and foods loaded with salt, sugar, and oil are just not good for our bodies. And for emotional eaters, you know, we now know that, that especially the processed foods, but also the fatty meats and dairy products um, are the, the exact foods that cause food addiction. So... We have to slowly re- begin to um, remove these products from our eating plan. And in my 12-week program, which is live, and I'll also be having a teleseminar series coming up very soon for people that aren't in L.A., we work on adding, slowly adding and crowding out um, the processed foods um, and the animal foods. We start adding whole, unprocessed plant foods. And sometimes we work also a little bit with abstinence, not going completely abstinent on something if that's too challenging for you. But sometimes, you know, we'll work on maybe taking, you know, sugar out for a week or taking flour products out for a week and just beginning to experiment with what's life like when your favorite comfort foods that are triggering a lot of food addiction are out of your life for a few days or a week or two weeks. And often emotional eaters find that they start to, not only do they see that they feel a lot better, but they start to feel like they actually um, can begin to remove some of these foods that aren't working for them. And whole unprocessed plant foods are just so body balancing. I mean, it's the, these are the foods that our bodies were intended to eat. 
when we're busy eating animal animals, we're only eating the animal to get the the energy stored in the animal's body because the animal ate plants. So why should we be eating the middleman? Go straight to the plants. Get all the God-given energy <laughs> stored in the plant tissue, right? Absolutely I know right. I'm preaching to the choir here. <laughs> and it, it all goes together. It really is a body-mind-spirit uh, proposition. Well, totally. Julie Simon, you are just delightful. I would encourage any of our listeners to go to overeatingrecovery.com to get your book, The Emotional Eater's Repair Manual, to find out about what you're doing. Go to a live seminar, attend a teleseminar if they're not in the L.A. area. And read your wonderful book. And, you know, it just might get on the New York Times bestseller list. We're just going to leave that up to the higher power. And thank you yes. so much for being on the show today. Thank you, thank Diane. You Metz. Find Diane at VeggieGirl.com. I am Victoria Moran, and Main Street Vegan is where I live, what I am, and what I do. And I'm so happy to be sharing that with you through this wonderful Unity Online radio program and everything else that I'm about. Because you know what? Life is good when you trust God and eat your veggies. All the best. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary, topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events. Yeah, but they'll all be Unity people, right? Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today, sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? Better. He's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it. This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights? <laughs> if I know Dr. Tom, he will keep it both friendly and spirited. Whoa, I gotta hear this. When and where? The program is called Let's Talk About It, and it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So let's talk about it. Definitely, let's. Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to focus your attention inward with these words from Elizabeth Searle Lamb. This is a new day. Lead your conscious mind to that still haven of your soul where your indwelling Christ opens wide the doorway of your heart. At once, mind, soul, and body, you are flooded with the light and love of God. You are lifted high above this earthly plane and filled with the radiance of spirit. Send this love and light on to those whom you hold dear so that it may uplift, heal, and comfort them. As you send this radiance on, you are filled with a new sense of God's power, and you release this power to the whole world to uplift, guide, and bless all people. A day's tasks await you. But God is with you, and with God's help, all shall be done perfectly. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity.
God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.